Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Alzheimer Speaks Radio Show. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, and founder of Alzheimer Speaks Resource Website and Blog. My passion is to educate the world about Alzheimer's and memory loss, and that came from a 30-year journey with my mother and her process. For those of you who are new to our show, I just want to give you a brief introduction to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. Our goal is to give voice to those afflicted with memory loss and empower them to live purpose-filled lives. We want to raise awareness, give hope, and share the real everyday life stories of living with Alzheimer's. Rick Phelps, our channel expert living with Alzheimer's, isn't going to be able to make it with us today. Um, but if by chance he pops online, we will definitely introduce him, but I don't think he's going to be with us. And I just want to thank JP, who provides our opening and closing music. He's a musician from over in the UK whose father has Alzheimer's disease, and needless to say, it's changed his life as well. If you have any questions or comments, you can use the chat box if you're online, or you can call the 714-364-4757 number, and then just push one to raise your hand, and we'll be more than glad to um, grab your comments or your calls as we go. So, without further ado, I just want to introduce the audience to David Simpson. David is the son of Lolo, and on a previous show, we had Clay Johnson on, who is a producer of a new documentary called Lolo. Initially, we tried to coordinate having Dave on that show, and it just didn't work, um, but I felt it was really important to get a son's perspective of this story of Lolo. And so, Dave, are you with us? Yes, I am, Lori. Wonderful, Dave. Well, before we really hop into some questions, can you just tell the audience a little bit about yourself, um, where you grew up, and what life was like um, prior to Alzheimer's disease with your mom? I grew up in Charleston, South Carolina. Uh, I went to school there until um middle school and and high school, and we moved to the Washington, D.C. area, Springfield, Virginia, Annapolis, Maryland. Um, I went to undergraduate school to the Citadel, and then I got a master's degree in journalism from the University of Missouri and kind of traveled all over the United States and parts of Europe. And then um, I settled down initially in Charleston, South Carolina, where I was a newspaper reporter, and then became a newspaper reporter here in Raleigh, North Carolina, mostly covering state politics. Um, and then for the last 22 years, I've been with Carolina's AGC Associate General Contractors, and I'm the North Carolina Building Director. I'm also a lobbyist in the North Carolina General Assembly and, and do some work in the Washington, D.C. area. And I'm a writer and uh, association executive and very happy with a family of three grown children and my wife, who's a school teacher here in Raleigh. Wow, you have a full life. I can tell that. Uh, how old are your kids? Um, 
my son is 20 um, he's 27 uh-huh. he went to carolina um he got he just recently got his law degree and his master's degree and he got a got a job as a lawyer here in the triangle area which is great my um middle uh, daughter is 26 she's in graduate school here at nc state in raleigh studying for social work she wants to save the world and she will put a serious dent in that goal and our youngest uh, just graduated from nc state she's a sales representative for a raleigh-based company that provides um, high-end scarves materials jewelry to boutiques and she is she has a sales area that basically stretches from kentucky to maine Oh, wow. Wow. Well, wonderful. I, I can't thank you enough for joining us today. I, um, of course, watched your mom's documentary and, and read up and everything, but I would like to hear from you, if, if you wouldn't mind explaining to us a little bit about when um, memory problems started to be noticed with your mom. What If you can give us some incidents of types of things that said, you know what, maybe this isn't normal aging. Um, Laurie, first of all, it is an honor and a pleasure to be here, and I do applaud the work you're doing because I just think it's wonderful. And I'm trying to do everything I can to educate people through my mother's experience. And probably in the neighborhood of eight years ago, my family, my wife Denise and my children Maggie, Emily, and Ben and I were down in Mount Pleasant, South Carolina, outside of Charleston, and it was Thanksgiving, and we were getting ready to enjoy um, the Thanksgiving weekend, and we got there Wednesday night, and Lolo was making um, some of the some of the food that we'd be for Thanksgiving. We noticed that she was having great difficulty coordinating things. Um, she was really unable, unfortunately, to cook uh, more than one thing at a time, and even when she was doing that, she was having difficulty. And um, and I noticed that my, my stepfather was getting a little bit frustrated with the whole thing. So I went to my wife, um, and we talked on the side, and I said, this is not good. And we had, based on my family's history, um, our first inkling that, that Lolo may have Alzheimer's, dementia, whatever. Okay. You know, and I... I love the fact that you brought up it was Thanksgiving because what I have found is it is those holiday times when we come together and go, oh, my gosh, when did this happen? When did all this change take place? Because a lot of times as families, especially if we're grown adults, you know, we just don't see our parents that often. And then you come back in and go, wow. We had to talk. We have to do something. And so um, from there, did you approach her about it then, or how did you handle it? Um, first of all, that's a very interesting point that you talk about the holidays, and isn't it ironic that on the you know good good holidays, what are supposed to be good times, you find out these very uh, sad things. But um, so what I did is I started monitoring the situation from North Carolina. As best I could, and 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 call you know call them, and we went down to see them whenever we could, but um, because of the situation, is is many folks find themselves in, as is the as the child of the parents, it's a little bit of a touchy situation, and you know you don't want to be too aggressive about it, but at the same time you know. 
the situation has to be properly managed. So what I did um, initially is I suggested that we get um, some help for them, specifically for my mother, um, somebody who could come in and clean their house and and cook, you know, make the make meals that they could eat whenever. And uh, that situation did not last very long, to say the least. My mother, Lolo, did not like the idea of somebody coming in her house and kind of taking over is the way she saw it. So um, then I got a, a, a relative on Denise, my wife's side, who happened to live um, in the Charleston, South Carolina area, to go in and help manage things better, specifically – you know, weed out the bad food. You know, help help them shop. Help help them suggest um, how to make food, foods that would be good and whatnot. My 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 stepfather, um, Bob Shulbred, still um, had and still has all his faculties about him. But you know, it's it's difficult under those circumstances. So so the idea here was to bring um, somewhat of a family member in. And maybe you know not have such a cider, but that didn't work either. Uh huh. Yeah, it it is it is kind of that awkward situation. Um, when I was in real estate helping people through transitions, it was it was very interesting to watch because people would say, you know, I want to address this, but I don't want to upset them. And um, but then if I do address it, I'm going to have a lot of stuff to do. And so it's kind of this balance of do I really want to jump into this thing or don't I? And then you have all the family dynamics and the personalities and the trust issues and everything that that come in. And so it can get extremely complicated really fast depending on personalities. And then do you have other siblings as well or was it primarily you making the decision? Um, I have, I have, I had one other sibling, my brother Chris, um, who unfortunately died of um, of cancer melanoma several years ago, and he at the time was around, but he li- he was based in Williamsburg, Virginia, and um, he was a university consultant, and he traveled around the world extensively, and somebody had to basically step up to the plate and say, okay, I'm going to manage this situation. And because he was farther away, um, I wound up being that person. Okay. Well, and that's nice because sometimes um, it isn't a pleasant thing between siblings, and they can be really split on what to do and how to handle things. And, And that makes it even more complicated, I think, for parents or loved ones that we're dealing with in that in that particular situation. So what at what point, I'm assuming at some point, you decided, okay, we need to go to the doctor. When did that happen, and how did that occur then? Well, what happened um, basically was they were calling me, my stepmother or my mother, to you know come down, come down and, and help them. And at one point, it was about 3 a.m., and... And I got a call from them, and they said I needed to come down immediately because they were having a, a, a terrible time. And I said, I tell you what, it's 3 a.m. right now, and uh, I'll wake up, you know, I'll open several hours, and then I'll come down. And and they basically said, no, you need to come down now. It's an emergency. So I got in the car, and it was snowing unbelievably. 
um, and it took me about a half an hour to get to the the freeway that circles Raleigh, um, 440. And when I got on when I got on the the Beltline, I couldn't tell where the 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 width of the road where the where the road ended where the shoulder began, and I couldn't even see you know where there were I couldn't see the side of the road, and I. I realized this was this was idiotic because now I was kind of risking my life to go down and see them, you know, at 3:30 in the morning. And so mm-hmm. I went back home and got back home safely and called them and said, you know, I'll, I'll get down there just as soon as I can. But as it turned out, we had about a foot of snow, freak snowstorm for Raleigh, North Carolina, and uh, I got down about um, about noon that day because of the bad weather and everything, and. And they had a bad situation that I needed to to fix and and and, um, and solve some problems, and uh, so I took care of that as best I could, and and then went back home. And wow! Waited for other things to happen. Well, and when you hear emergency now, I mean that just makes your heart just stop. Because yeah, it does. Yeah. You don't know what you're walking into because everybody rates emergency a little bit different, you know, on the scale. All you know is. It ain't good, you know. No, it ain't good. And, and Laurie, something, and you're exactly right. And something else, too, um, without going into much detail, but just to give people a heads up and an education, you raised a really good point about siblings not always agreeing on the course of action that had to be taken. And um, and that's a, that's an excellent point. And um, what I would like to say there, just to to offer what it was I saw every situation is different but there will come a point no matter what the distances are who's doing what where somebody has to step up to the plate and do it and in this case we agreed that I would be the best person to do that so um like it is with any situation where you have to kind of manage things there are going to be times when people aren't going to agree with everything you do, but all you can do is the best you can with the idea that the first goal in this is to look out for Lolo and to do what is right for her. That is the first thing that has to be done. Well, and and along with that is letting go of the guilt and the judgment um, that people will judge you by. I think is really important because as caregivers, I think we really tend to please try to please everybody. And there comes a point where you just can't, and you have to cut your losses and say, with the information that I have today, this is the best choice for the person I'm caring for, and and somebody's got to make this decision and move forward. And you know, siblings may or may not like it, friends may or may not like it, acquaintances, I mean, you get all these opinions and all these judgments, but I think we really have to say, you know what, someone's got to make a decision, this can't keep going on, and we're going to cut our losses and do the best we can with what we have. And it's not that the course can't change later on. I think we put so much weight sometimes on the decision of today, realizing with this disease, what I found is we're in control of nothing. And you're constantly changing course. And if you're not constantly changing course, you're going to be really frustrated. 
Really right, and jump and, and jumping ahead a little bit chronologically, but along the lines of what you just said, um, one person in 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 the situation when it comes down to having a power of attorney, you really only want one person to have the power of attorney. You don't want to have two people because things happen too quickly, and one person has to be in charge. Um, and one person has to have the the power of attorney. That one person needs to work with the whole family as much as they can. But when emergencies happen, when 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 your parent has um, a stroke, when your parent needs a stent, when your parent has no place to go, when there's really nobody else there to provide the kind of care she needs except you all of which happened to me, then you have to step in and do exactly what you said, Lori, and that is you know, do the best you can do, and if people don't like it, I'm sorry, but unless you want to come down and do it yourself, which in my case was impractical, then you you have to just step up to the plate and do it. Yeah, and in our family, we did have multiple powers of attorney, but we, we talked in terms of kind of the hierarchy. But, again, there is no hierarchy once you share that. I mean, it, it can get bounced around and get very confusing. So I think people really have to take guidance um, through an attorney. Don't do this. Don't just go Google a form and do it because there's a lot of questions that need to be asked um, regarding the process. I think the other thing that is very important is, in terms of um, getting your documentation together, I think having a healthcare, you know, power of attorney and talking about all there, cause there's all different types. There's the financial, uh, lots of different types of needs that have to be met, and sometimes that split up between siblings in terms of who's going to have um, rights to do certain things as well. It makes it a little more complicated, but. Um, you know, every family, like you said, is is very, very different. So in terms of getting your mom to the doctor, um, you know, how did that process go? Well, um, here's what basically happened. She was going to a doctor in Mount Pleasant, South Carolina, where she lived, and I didn't have access to what was going on. And, you know, with, with the HIPAA laws and everything else, you know, you can't get information. It's at the same time, it was very, very, very much so. And then at the same time, you know, you don't want to butt in and say, you know, I, I want to talk to her doctor because, you know, she's she, she resents that some. And, you know, her husband's probably, I mean, he, he was not real wild about that, nor would I be if, you know, so you got an awkward situation there. But here's what basically happened. I let things fester and, and go on their own as best I could, you know, because you, you don't want to step in and take control and, and, until you really have to. Mm -hmm. And so what happened was I got a call from the Mount Pleasant Police Department and they said, for the second time, we have stopped your mother while she was driving in her Toyota Camry. And she is not in the kind of condition that she should be driving a car. And if you don't come down and take care of this situation, then two things are going to happen. One, she's not going to drive. We're going to make sure to that. 
And secondly, we're going to have put her under protective adult custody. Oh, and so I said, huh, this is not good. So then that's when I started being under the gun, and that's when I started taking the proverbial bull by the horns. And so what happened a, a, a couple of weeks or so later is I told my, my, my mother, Lolo, and my stepfather, Bob, that the authorities were on me, the social workers were on me, and what they were doing down there no longer was going to work. So I was going to have to come down there and, with tough love, you know, basically correct things. And, uh-huh. and so I drove down from, from Raleigh, North Carolina, to Charleston, South Carolina, and um, I had my son with me, Ben. And we basically, when we got there, I had arranged to have the law enforcement authority, um, a social worker, a... Um, uh, a, a doctor and a um, a a social an elderly care expert that I had to pay for to be like a there. geriatric we, professional. Yes, mm-hmm. and I had to basically go into to their living room with all these people in there and down and say, "Okay, folks, this is now a crisis situation," and the only thing that we can do is go around the room and listen to what these people say say to us. And we went around the room one by one, and everybody said, you know, what the problem was. The law enforcement people said, you know, she can't drive like this. The uh, the, the social worker saying, you know, she's going to be put under under adult protective services if you all don't come up with a viable game plan. And, you know, we just went around the whole room like that. And so I said, all right, here's – Here's the conclusion of what everybody said. Um, we've tried everything. I have tried finding an independent living care facility down here in the Charleston area where Lolo could go to, but that doesn't work. You know, nobody wants to do that. Um, so the only option that we have, unless somebody can come up with a better a better idea, is to take Lolo back to Raleigh, North Carolina, and 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 to find a place where she will be safe and she won't be a threat to others and 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 we can get the kind of care that she needs. And so it was ugly. Oh, you, you were we, really getting some nasty calls from long distance. That's that's tough. It's hard yeah. when you're in the same city, but when they're long distance, yeah. I can't even imagine the pressure and the stress that you felt. Yeah. So so what we basically had to do um is my son and I um got in the car. My my mother and my stepfather said goodbye. We got her belongings and we drove from Mount Pleasant to Char- to to uh Raleigh with the idea that my you know, I said to my stepfather, you know, you want to come up, you you know, you're welcome to come up, do whatever you want to do. You're welcome you know, to live with Lolo, you're welcome to come into an independent living facility, whatever as we can get. But unless you want to, you know, behind bars, this is the only option. So we did that, and 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 then it really got tough because mm-hmm. for about five weeks, Lolo was living with us, and she would wake us up all hours, and she didn't know where she was, and. uh 
um, without going to a lot of personal um, detail, you know, she really needed help, and mm-hmm. we could not provide it for her. She needed, you know, basic help um, on on you know on things that we thought she was able to do that she couldn't she couldn't do. I mean, there were there were you know things like um, being incontinent, you know, not being able to brush your teeth right, that sort of thing, and and it. And I didn't realize it was that bad, but you know we had to deal with that. So what we did is, um, in addition to trying to hold down full-time jobs, in addition to having three of our of our children, you know, in in school, you know, universities, that sort of thing, um, in addition to the legislature being in session, um, then then we had we had this issue: of what in the world are we going to do with Lolo? And we didn't really know. So she lived with us for well over a month, and we didn't sleep very well. And I'd, and I'd like to just stop for a second and, and say that I realize, after all we've been through in the last four and a half years, that what we're complaining about is not very much because we are, um, unlike many people, um, because because Lolo had some savings and because our family, you, you know, it, we work hard, and we do have we do have the resources. We're able to put her in a place where she needs to go, and so many people can't. And I mean, you know, so what I what I am talking about pales in comparison to what people have to deal with who don't have the resources to 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 put your parents in in, in the facilities that, that at least we think that they need to be put in. Um, but anyway, that point not overlooked by me, what we next did was we tried to find a a facility that would work. And the first thing we found tried to find was a daycare place where when we were at work from 8.30 to 5, somebody else could, for lack of better words, babysit Lolo and you know provide her the kind of oversight that we needed. As an example, she loves to iron. And if she's not in a facility and she's ironing, you know, she can burn her house down. Um, and that's the kind of stuff you have to think about. So while we were trying to find at least a temporary solution, I'd come home for lunch whenever I could. My wife couldn't because she was a teacher. We would come home, and every day it was the same thing. She had three suitcases lined up inside the garage, and she was extremely agitated and I would go into the house, and I'd look up at the walls, and the walls leading from the playroom to the first floor of our two-story home were all scratched up because she'd basically take her big, fully <laughs> packed suitcases and throw them down the stairs because she couldn't carry them; they're so heavy. And then she would say, and, and she would say every day for over a month three things over and over: one. How dare you keep me here? I want to get out of here. I want to catch a bus to Charleston. Where's my money and where's my car? And she just said that over and over and over. And that was the only thing that she would say. And and I, being naive and and unaware about what I should have been doing, I tried to reason with her. And you uh-huh. cannot reason. You can't reason. Yep. No, and, you can't. Not going to happen. And so, so what we did is we got her in a community daycare 
facility, and that didn't work. She couldn't stand it, just like every other solution. It just wouldn't work for her. So then what we had to do is look for as close to independent living as we could get. You know, I I, I quickly realized that there are there are several phases of this thing. You have independent living facility. You have an assisted living facility. Then you have um, Alzheimer's dementia unit. And then you have beyond that, where we have not yet had to go, thank, thank goodness, you have, um, you know, like a a a nursing care 24/7 facility um mm-hmm. and that's that's that that was that were the options those were the options that we had so what we did is um some friends and some research led to a an unbelievable blessing and a and, a, and an immediate panacea for the emergency situation and crisis we were in Somebody gave me the name of a local gentleman whose name is Jay Hamry, and um, he is with a with an um, an agency called A Place for Mom. And and in addition to the research that I had done, he helped me figure out what my options were. And there was in Wake County, one of 100 counties in North Carolina where we live, um, in Wake County, um, they also have a senior living guide, and it lists. In, in, on a county by county breakdown in North Carolina, what the options are, and it and it has it has description of the facility, how much it costs, what the care levels are, that sort of thing. So that that really helped, and we got my mother into the first of of several facilities that she's been in in North Carolina in the last four and a half years that she's been here. Now the first place she went to. Um, I, I, need, I want people to 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 to, to understand this because I didn't certainly didn't realize this, and I bet a lot of other people don't realize it. But we got her into an assisted living facility that was really nice. She lasted about 16 hours, and they called and they said, "You need to come get her out of here because she is a threat to herself, and equally and probably more importantly, a threat to the other people. She's tried to hit people." So I said, my, you know, my goodness, now, now what in the world are we going to do? Well, it turns out that she had, as at the time, an uh, around 76-year-old woman, she had a um, urinary tract infection. Urinary tract infection. The reason this is important is because, from what I gathered firsthand, what I learned firsthand, if you're an elderly woman with dementia. Alzheimer's, whatever, and you have a urinary tract infection, you got trouble. And she is, she is, she is. I mean, just she's she acts crazy. That's well, and, all, and, that's, that's, and everybody reacts differently. So some some you know um, act out and get really aggressive. I remember one time my mom. I thought they were overdosing her. I mean, her eyes were rolling back in her head. She couldn't hold her neck up. And I'm like, there's no way. And I had a really good relationship with where she was at. But I said, there's no way she is, she is not being, you know, over medicated. And they're like, Lori, I just checked her file. Nothing's changed. I, we really think it's a, a UTI. And I thought, yeah, right. And it was. And it was amazing the difference once she got on the antibiotics. But I mean, it can come out in so many different ways. And that is something that both family and 
and the care, you know, if it's professional care or not, should look into first thing because it is so common. So that's a great point. I'm glad you brought that up. Okay, and, and thank you, and thank you for elaborating. It's, it's wonderful talking to you too to to get your take on things. Um, it's 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 really it's 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 enjoyable lightning for me too. Um, so here we are, back to square one. They they kick her out of this really nice memory care unit. Actually, at this point, it was a, it was it was it was an assisted living facility with a memory care unit. As an option down the road, but they basically said, you know, she she has to, she can't stay here. So then I'm thinking, in addition to you know a lot of money that we put down, a whole lot of paperwork, a whole lot of hassles, a whole lot of red tape, we're back to square one. I don't have a clue what we're going to do. I don't know what we're going to do. So I say to them, look, you know, before you throw her out in the street here, you, you know, you got to help me. Because we've made a good faith effort here, and I don't know why she's acting crazy. And they didn't even—they didn't even put together that she had a urinary tract infection, and that's why she was acting cuckoo. And and I, and I didn't—I didn't know what the deal. I, I didn't know what the deal was either. You know, I didn't—I yeah. didn't know if she was gonna. This is gonna be like a permanent thing, or maybe maybe she flipped out. You know, being in this place, I didn't know, man. I well, I just flat out didn't know what to do. So. I said, she's not leaving here. I'm not taking her out of here. Do you guys help me find a solution to this problem? Yeah, and I think and it's so they pretty, said, I think it's pretty common. I'm just going to cut in for a second on the assisted living because you know they're really not medically oriented, and so compared to you know someone who is is giving more assistance, even if you're talking with a home health care or a nursing home or just something that's a little bit level higher. In terms of cares, you know, they just they don't even know because that's not something that they deal with. And so, again, a lot of times families are out of the loop and lost. And you think you've got the perfect resources and you like the people you're dealing with, and you're like, well, if they don't know, how the heck am I supposed to know and figure this out? And and you have said several times now, here we are back at square one again, and that does happen frequently. And I am just amazed that. Um, you know, the story um, in and of itself. And I, I would imagine your mom's personality had a little to do with it, too, because she seems like a very vibrant person, which we haven't even gotten into her personality style at all. <laughs> right. But what was what was killer, too, to me is, just as an example, a, a, a former legislator who um, was at the facility, and I just, I just thought the world of man. He's just a, he was just a wonderful gentleman. And um and you know I, I just thought to myself well you know these two folks my mom and this former legislator can become good friends because they're both you know sophisticated urbane people and you know this would be a nice fit for them and I said and I said to them you know this kills me because you know they would have been good friends with this gentleman and and he said well she tried to punch him <laughs> I mean she 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 tried to hit the guy so. You know that's so that's not good. No. So anyway, I said no, it's not good. So I said, all right, you know, I'm not I'm not just taking her out of here. You guys got to give me some kind of guidance. So we talked about it, and Lolo's sitting outside, and I'm just I'm just seeing you know my world crash in around me because I don't have a clue what I'm going to do. I just don't know, and I have lots of other responsibilities. You know, with three kids and my wife trying to you know survive. And all that stuff, jobs and everything. I'm just saying, you know, what in the world? So 
they said one thing we can try to do is get her into the geriatric psychiatric unit of UNC hospitals in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. I said, all right, you know what what, what will they do there? They can they can try to figure out what the problem is and and try to get a solution. And if they can do that, then maybe they can stabilize her and maybe she can come back here. And I said, well, how long is that going to take? They said, I don't know. And I said, well, do I have to? Do we have to pay for that while she's at the hospital? Do we have to pay for this place if we're not sure if she can come back here or not? Yes, you have to pay for this place. And I said, what happens if she doesn't? If she can't come back here? Well, we have to take it one step at a time. So I said, all right. So the only way to, that that from from my experience, and this is only my experience. I'm not saying this is law or anything else. I'm just telling you how it works on the street. The only way that I could get Lolo into this geriatric psychiatric facility is for her to either be a serious threat to herself and or to others. So what I did in talking with these people at this particular facility, I said, look, we need to be able to put in writing um, – from what I can piece together, from what they told me and, and, and what I figured out, we need to be able to put in writing that you know she she was a serious threat. So they mm-hmm. did do that. So the next thing I know, I have to take her to this to this um, geriatric psychiatric facility at UNC. This would be one of what would become about four times, if I remember correctly. And this is an unbelievable nightmare because because she's basically coming in off the street. Mm-hmm. With the idea that she's, you know, she's threatening people, and she, and she, and, she, and she could, you know, hurt herself or other people. To get into this facility, it takes a minimum of eight hours if you're, if you're, if you can even do that, because they don't have many extra beds, and she's just coming off the street basically. And um, so that was my first experience with that, and I've gone through that, I think four times where she's had to go back to this geriatric psychiatric facility and it takes at least eight hours to get her in there and it is a nightmare it is I, I can't tell you how awful it is and it's horrible for her because she doesn't know what's going on and you know people are just constantly coming at her just asking the same questions over and over and and but once she gets in um each time it is incredible they're they're just wonderful well excellent and the, people and the- the one thing is just even the name, the geriatric, psychiatric. I mean, it's just, you know, it's it's overwhelming, it's daunting, and especially for that era with, with our folks in particular. I mean, they didn't like anything to do with a psychiatrist. And so if there's any comprehension of the person understanding even the title can be difficult. And then, again, you know, poor Lolo, she's had to move so many times in each transition takes a toll, too, with somebody with memory loss. And so you definitely have your hands full there. But um, I I have heard wonderful, wonderful things about um, those facilities as well because they really get to the crux of things. But I'll let you go on and explain what your experiences was like. Well, um, so basically what happened, um, we would be there three, three different times. Each time she would be there, um, in the neighborhood of a month, and what they would basically do in her case is they would take her off. This is my understanding. I'm not a doctor and I'm not a lawyer, um, but my understanding of what they would do is 
they would basically take her off as much medication as they could, take her off the the uh, psychotic medicines, and 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 basically strip her down and start her anew at what what drugs she needed to take to to basically stabilize her emotionally and psychologically. Yeah. That was that was one thing. Then the other problem was. She has had numerous strokes. Um, she's had um, a stent put in. She has a pacemaker. Um, and she also has problems with her blood pressure fluctuating. So if she's sitting down or lying down and she stands up, um, then she at times be very, very dizzy and you know risk falling down. So they had to they had to stabilize her blood pressure as best they could too. So it's a two. It's a two-pronged um, problem that, that, that they, 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 just, they just did inc- an incredible job at UNC. I can't tell you how wonderful those people are. I mean, when, when she goes there, you know they're going to take care of her, and it's just they're just it's incredible. They're just so fine. And anyway, after after a, after about a month, in each of the three times, uh, she comes out happy, the same old Lolo that we knew and love, and then she. Um, she she um pro- in most of the cases has to go to a different facility um so 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 cutting to the chase she has been at, at at that at that facility three times and she just recently got back from a similar private facility in the Asheville North Carolina area she had a bad fall about uh 6 weeks ago she unfortunately knocked out two of her front teeth Aww. and she was having and she was having she was having great difficulty with balance and whatnot. So, so we had to get her there for about three weeks. And she's been back in the fourth facility um, that she's been in she, she's, since she's been in Raleigh. And she's she's been politely asked to leave pretty much the other facilities because <laughs> she's because she's she's kind of escaped from them. And at one point, at one of the facilities, I laugh because if you don't laugh, you'll go crazy. But at one facility, she's pretty street smart. She she busted out of there and went on a very um, busy road right outside the facility, and and um, and she and, and and this is serious. I mean, she tried to she, she from what they tell me, she tried to commit suicide by running in front of in front of um, cars. Oh, and uh And uh, anyway, anyway, um, when when a nurse finally caught up with her, the nurse grabbed her, and then she. Being street smart, basically said, "The nurse is trying to kill me. <laughs> Take the heat off of her and put it on the nurse." So, so anyway, so so she is now in a in a wonderful um, memory care unit in in Raleigh, and and I feel right now as good as I can possibly feel about the whole situation because we know that she's being cared for. As well as she can be, and something that um, that I learn that is the best thing that anybody has said to my my family or me through all of this um, is along the lines of when 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 you first put your 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 parent into one of these facilities, you feel awful about, it, but you know you don't have any option. And and we had a tendency to try to be there every day for her, 
And they basically told us, you know, you don't need to come here every day because she needs to adjust by herself. Because four and a half years ago, when we first got her in one of the facilities, um, actually it was probably more like four years four years ago now because it was just be the second facility, they said she needs to adjust herself. And you don't need to – every time you come to see her and then you leave, then she's she's confused because she wants to go back with you, so you don't need to go there every day. But the best thing anybody ever told us was don't ever lose sight of the fact that when you go to see your mother, you're not really going for your mother. You're going for you because she will never remember that you came to see her. And 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 that's important. You know, that's something that everybody needs to think about in this situation because you can beat yourself up. You can about kill yourself if you don't realize that she's not going to remember. It's terrible, but man, she's not going to remember that you even came to see her. So, yeah. you know, when you you know, when you kill yourself trying to trying to be there all the time and doing everything, all you're doing really, even though you you have the best of intentions, is you're you're, you're starting to you're starting to start messing with yourself now, and that's not good either. Yeah, I want to touch on a couple of things on the geriatric psych ward. You know, one of the reasons that they are typically in there for a long time, like you said, is they're taking them off the medication, <laughs> and a lot of times people don't understand is. They have to not just take them off the medications, but they have to get the medications out of the system. So it's not just stopping and starting again. They have to have a clear baseline So because medications stay in our body for a period of time. And I just wanted to clarify that for some people um, because that has a big, big impact. And then starting fresh, and it, that can be a huge, huge factor with people. And I have heard wonderful stories about being able just to baseline things, clear out the system, and, and start afresh again. And I know my mom never had to go onto um, a psych ward to do that, but they did it several times with her because the medications just weren't effective anymore, and, you know, it's okay. The other thing is I wanted to ask, in the memory unit that she's in now, is that a locked ward or not for her? Um, I tell you what, what I would like you to do for 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 me and for anybody that's listening, mm -hmm. define what locked is. Well, locked is where they can't escape. <laughs> you know, they would need a code typically to get to get out of the ward. Um, and so, you know, my mom, for example, she progressed through the nursing home. She started on the first floor where she could walk in and out of the door anytime she wanted to. Then they put her up on the second floor where it would get a little more complicated. And it wasn't necessarily locked, but the likelihood of her being able to figure out how to use the elevator was slim to none. Um, and then it got to the point where she really, and she wasn't, um, she, my mom wasn't a runner per se, though we had one, one episode where she escaped and the only way we could get her back was to bribe her with a hot fudge sundae, <laughs> you know, one, one, one night, you know, whatever works, but it was a safety <laughs> issue, so we just moved her up to the second floor, but there's a lot of people I know where my mom lives, where I mean, they see that elevator door open and boom, they're in there. They don't care where they're going or which direction, but they're out of there, you know. And so um, you can't just, blame them either. You can't it really blame varies. Them and, in fact, I heard from somebody um, and I, I can't remember. I'm thinking it was Brookview Living and I might be mistaken on this. But what they did was they put a dark 
um, triangular piece of carpet right at the as you enter the elevator and the rest of the carpet was you know a lighter color and the reason they did that was because perception is um, the residents would think that there's a hole and that they would fall into it so they wouldn't go to the elevator door and there's a lot you know with with um, eye perception and stuff um, that can be done to help people avoid um, places like that. But my mom now is on a on a place where we need a code to get down the elevator. We have to push certain buttons or, you know, and then she's on a, a, another unit where we have to push more buttons to get into there just in case um, she was a runner, but she's not. So it's just a place where they can't freely, you know, get out the door. They're really going to have to, you know, they're going to have to be able to have a skill level to be able to put a couple of variables together and to sneak out. By that definition, Lolo has always been in a locked facility, but without going into detail, you can get out of those places. and You don't have to know the code. There are other ways of getting out, too, mm-hmm. um, and she's figured that out. Somebody, and especially if... If she's got good social skills, you can be talking to a visitor. And, I mean, my mom, a lot of people didn't know she was living there. They thought she was a guest, you know. And so, they, I mean, they were shocked when they found out she lived there because my mom had great social skills. And, um, you know, on a good day, she could even give them directions. <laughs> within the well, along those, line, along those lines, too, Cullen Browder, who's a, a wonderful uh, reporter for WRAL-TV, a CBS affiliate here in Raleigh, when he first went to meet Lolo, and they've done a series of stories about Lolo as well as as well as a thirty minute documentary. The first thing he told me was when he saw Lolo, he thought that she was running the joint she did he did not know that 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 was Lolo that was my mom I mean he literally thought that that she was she was running the memory care unit because yeah. She, you know, you, you just, you didn't. If you didn't know her, you wouldn't immediately know that she had that. Well, and it's those powerful personalities, you know. Uh, my mom was always extremely right. organized and very social, and and that that took a long time to go away, you know, on her journey of thirty years. I mean, she could still fit in, and she always had a smile on her face and could make people laugh, and she was very good at greeting people and engaging them. And you know, heck, they didn't know her from. Shinola, you know, and so she right. looked good. They weren't they weren't measuring a difference <laughs> in who she was to who she is now. Sounds good, looks good, must be okay, you know. And that's all people kind of think. And I, right. I really right. think the the face of the disease is going to be changing as more and more people get early diagnosis because, you know, so many people you would never know um, had this diagnosis early on, but not in a zillion years. You know, because everyone's mind frame is, you know, that they're old, decrepit, they don't speak, and they have this blank stare. And that's just not the case. Right. Just not the case. So, Somebody somebody that I, that I always enjoyed, because I love music, um, and I play the guitar myself, but Glenn Campbell, you know, he's just a fabulous guitarist. And he was a, he was a really, he is a really good musician. And, and I read about him the other day. You know, he has, I think he's, what, about 75? And he... Um, he just said he was going to do this concert, and he was having he was having trouble remembering the licks that he was playing on his guitar. But when he went out there and it was showtime, he apparently, from what I read, just shined, and that's so nice. 
Yeah. Well, it comes back because he's been doing it so long, and music is one of the last things to go, but so are the things that have been ingrained in us. And, I mean, my gosh, he's been a musician forever, you know? So, yeah. It's very it's very exciting. The other thing I wanted to touch on was you had mentioned about families not feeling guilty um, by not coming to visit. And, you know, where my mom was, for example, when she would switch from one unit to another, they they would tell us, please don't come for at least 24 hours. And um, as a family member, that was always hard because, again, you want to be there and you know, you feel guilty, but it really does get down to they have to adjust. They need to um, create their new routines. They need to find that peer interaction. They have to develop that bond with the staff, and we do end up um, sometimes harming that process, even though we don't mean to, because we're a constant in, um, reminder of what was. And what was is, you know, we all know typically what was, we're not going back. You know, they're not moving back into the house and things have to change. So it's important for them to really be able to feel comfortable with things. And, you know, they're going to have tough times and they might cry and they might be uncomfortable, but us being there isn't necessarily going to help that process either. It's a grieving process. Um, that people do have to go through with with any transition, and sometimes we slow that down. And so I just wanted to add that in there too. So um, uh, your story is just so fascinating, uh, all of the the different elements that you've come through. Now, how did you? You know, you mentioned that there was a you know a reporter who started doing some stories, you know, on your mom. Can you tell us a little bit more of how that started and how the whole documentary came into play? Yeah, I'd love to. What basically happened, um, I used to be a newspaper reporter, and um, and when we brought Lolo up here, I said to myself, yeah, this is awful. You know, here's this, here's this woman that, you know, used to be a local TV star, and she's been all over the world with people like Robert Plant, um, who was with Led Zeppelin and Willie Nelson and... Tony Bennett, and, you know, she just had the world by its tail. And now here she is in Raleigh, North Carolina, and we basically had to take her away from her favorite town of all time, Charleston, South Carolina, which is a great city. And now she's up here by herself. And I tried initially for about the first year to have her with – some kind of contact with the outside world by by having her a newspaper subscription and a telephone and you know nobody else had those kind of things there you know because they they realize you know well she doesn't know how to use the telephone and she can't read and you know she can't she can't comprehend all that so but it's the familiarity what what basically happened was I I said you know this is awful I mean it's awful for the all all the obvious reasons but it's also awful. Because I feel bad because I had to take her out of her nest. You know what I mean? And now she's up here. Nobody knows who she is except my immediate friends who meet her when we sometimes take her for dinner and bring friends over or take her out to dinner with friends. But now she's kind of like, you know, by herself except for, the, you know, when, when when we can see her. But it's, it's I really feel bad about that, and I feel bad about this whole thing. But then I got to thinking – 
wait a minute, why don't we make something of of Lolo's situation? Why don't we take her story, which is a former local TV personality and star in Charleston, South Carolina, who's now basically an anonymous person, why don't we take this awful situation and make something out of it? Mm -hmm. Why don't we use what she went through as this you know, very articulate media personality who is now in an awful situation, why don't we use her story and tell other people about it? And and being a former newspaper reporter, this is not a newspaper story. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It is, you could have a story, but you got to see this one. And with with uh, with uh, Colin Browder, a a a really good TV reporter that I have worked with as, as a business um, as an association person, you know, who 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 is plugged into business stuff and the legislature and all that. I knew I knew that he would do a good job because of former stories that we did, you know, professionally. And so I just I just called him up one day and I said. I think we got a story that can make a difference. And I told him about it, and he said, hmm, intriguing. And we started talking about it, and weeks later, he called me up one day, and he said, you know, I've been thinking about this, and I've been pitching this with with my folks at WRAL, and I think we have something. And I, I said, I think, we can, I think we can change lives. I think we can help people. Well, you know, I think that's and so that, wonderful. That's how it happened. Because it's, you know, I, um, I've i been involved with, we just brought the first UK memory cafe to the U.S., and we can't get any press for anything on it. It's like, I, you know, they'll cover the research or they'll cover the fear, but there's so much that society has to learn, and they're not going to be able to learn it and know how to survive it and live with this disease if it's the person who has it, if it's a family or friend caregiver, or if it's a professional caregiver, unless we start getting more media exposure. So I think it's wonderful that you found this outlet, not only for the articles, but then for the documentary, because we just can't have enough of it. There's such a huge huge need out there um, for people to hear what is happening. That's one of the reasons I started the radio show. It's like, okay, if no one else is going to talk about it, you know, I'm going to pull people around the world and just start sharing stories because I really feel this is a a global thing and we need to pull together and find out what's what. Good for you. So keep going. Good for you. You're getting me misty. Good for you. So, um, so you did, you know, a few stories, and then how did the how did the documentary come into play then? Well, um, we did um, a handful of stories, and uh, it all just came together. Um, we found we found the coolest thing. The coolest thing about the whole thing is whenever we get Lolo and take her anywhere. She's a celebrity, man. She is a celebrity who doesn't know she's a celebrity, um, but she understands when people come up and talk to her that that something's going on. And I think what happens is I think she thinks it's back in the 1960s 
Uh-huh. When she was a television star, because they they come up and they say, "I saw you on TV," and I think she's reverting to the old days when this when she when she, when she re- when she really was on oh, sure. you know on sense. TV and a star and a star. But anyway, um, from a from a just this, the reaction the reaction was incredible. I, I mean, people you know would 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 respond to the blog that I the blogs that I've written for WRAL TV. Um every everywhere everywhere we take Lolo people say, Look, there's Lolo, you know. I mean they're almost to the point that would you would you give us your autograph Lolo? So that's <laughs> kinda cool. But I mean I I just think that the that the reaction was so good and 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 the T V station picking up on that, they they just want to do, you know, another story and another story and another story and then then we got to talk, and you know, this would really be cool to do a documentary, or what's a two or three or four minute story where we could do the whole thing. And mm-hmm. um, and, and and and, but anyway, getting back to to your 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 previous question, um, all this is even though it's an awful tragedy, it's all wonderful because there's nothing you can do about the situation. But now Lolo's life here in Raleigh, North Carolina, means a whole lot to a whole lot of people. Mm-hmm. And that's huge. That's huge. Um, it, the effect that she is having and that you are having um, on society. Not at me. Large. That she's having. It's it's her. It's not me. It's well, it's Lolo. But, but but you're part of the story. You're part of the story, and you know we. In my opinion, we can't focus on just those with the disease because this is not a disease of one. This is a disease of the masses, and we as a society have to look at the whole picture. Because if we don't start looking at the whole picture, we're never going to be able to change things. So, you know, for me personally, I'm on this mission to change people's perceptions of you know what alzheimer's disease and memory memory loss is about because i think the perceptions are really skewed but we also have to look at how um care services if they're family or professional are received by the patient um in order to change our delivery systems and one of the things that saddens me is you know right now we are still so focused on a cure, which I think is important, but a cure is a long ways out in my mind, and we need to figure out how to live with this disease, how to still have purpose-filled lives um, as someone living with the disease and someone who's caring for them, because a lot of times um, caregivers get out of balance and get out of whack and the stress. And so we've got to start doing something to be able to live graciously with this disease. And I think the documentary that you guys pulled together, I mean, it just puts a smile on my face, Um, you know, with your mom's personality. And I can relate to a lot of my own, you know, mother. There's still a lot of joy there with them. Um, They're still connected, even though it's different. And so um, it's, it's a powerful, powerful story, and, you know, I would argue with you that it's not just your mom's story because you are helping so many people just by talking about what it's like to be a son, what it's like to get those calls, how do you troubleshoot, how do you how do, you do things in their best interest, how do you cope? Um, and that, to me, is, is a piece that cannot be neglected um, because without you, 
spending for her, she'd be under adult protective services. And those people wouldn't know your mom from Adam on, you know, what does she need? What does she like? You know, who is she? They don't have that history. So I'll get off my rant on that one. <laughs> no, no, I, every, everything you're saying is just so refreshing because um, it's, I don't know, it's just, it's, everything you're saying is, is taking everything to the next level, which is what I've been trying to do. And, and you know, you're not ranting at all. In fact, I'd rather listen to you talk than me because I'm tired of listening to myself. <laughs> you educate me. <laughs> well, you're Seriously, though, um, I'm sorry? I said, and you're educating all of us. It's all about sharing. Yeah, well, in speaking of sharing, something that I would love to do, I'll give you another another anecdote. Um, when... When when this when when we started doing these stories, I called up because it was CBS. I called up CBS in New York, and I said I said you know we got this really good story that that, that, that you all need to need to listen listen to because it's going to affect everybody. And, and somebody answered the phone there, and they said, well you know go ahead and send, send me a link and and uh, we'll we'll take a look at it. And so I I got got the uh, got the email of this person and sent the email. With the link for the stories, and 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 I said, you know, please confirm you you received this, and I never heard from him. And what I love to do is because I truly have not seen but one thing that compares with the documentary on Lolo. I've not seen anything that is that moving. I would love to be able somehow to take to take Lolo, particularly while she's still alive. Thank goodness. And and get this thing all over the place because it just it's something people can relate to the reaction that we have had with this story WRL TV and and our family in the triangle if this reaction could be all over all over the world it it just it'd be so neat because you know it would help so many people and it just you know sometimes you just want to shake people and say listen. Listen, because it's going to happen to you, man, or it's going to happen to your people, or, you know. Well, it's very rare that someone's not going to be touched by this disease, and we will do our we will do our very best to get this out through social media, through um, the blog, the Twitter, <clears throat> you know, the radio show, et cetera, because we've got an international audience, and it's amazing the power of, of um, social media getting it out there and people picking it up and looking at it. It's it's a matter of people slowing down and taking the time and realizing the importance of this mission because this is not only having an effect on families, you know, one by one. It is having a, a social, economical impact on society all over the world because nobody can handle the burden of the cost of this disease. And so we've got to figure out new ways to work with it and to live with it. And so we will we'll do everything we can to help you um, get that get that message out and get Lolo's story heard because it is it's a fabulous fabulous um, documentary. Um, another thing, this has nothing to do with Lolo, but I never have had an opportunity to tell people publicly this story. But my best friend of all times was my uh, Uncle Jim, and he died about a year and a half ago. He was a World War II hero, and he had Alzheimer's, and I just, man, I just loved him to death. 
Yeah, it's it's hard. And a lot of times we've had people pass that we didn't know had Alzheimer's disease. I remember when I was 13 years old, my great-great-aunt was in a nursing home, and we were ex- exceptionally close. And I'll never forget going to the nursing home with my younger brother and my mom, and that day Aunt Mary didn't know who I was. And this, she knew. What is she it, what, knew, wait a minute. What is this aunt stuff? The word is aunt, not aunt. Aunt. I call her my auntie. <laughs> You've got it all wrong there, Dave. Let me tell you. <laughs> kind of like mom and mother and mom. And <laughs> it all depends on where you come from. But I'll never forget how, how devastating that was. And I sobbed for, I bet, two weeks straight. I was crushed. And nobody could tell me why she didn't know me, why she still knew my mom, why she still knew my brother. And I was really angry because I was the closest to her, or I felt I was. Mm. And it's funny how it's kind of come full circle, you know, with that lesson that never left me. I I still can feel the pain of that and just being told that's what happens when you get old and not being prepared and no one being able to explain it. And then this 30-year journey now, I'm living with my mom and all the gifts she's given me and the things she's taught me to live my life much fuller and richer because I look at the world so differently. Because I have to now. You know, I don't get caught up in the hustle and the bustle. And the big things that happen in the world really don't matter to me anymore. I'm very much focused on the little gifts that I think are so often overlooked. Um, we need to get wrapping up here, though, so I want to ask you a few a few more questions, if you don't mind. One is, you know, does your mom still know who you are? That's a question everybody always asks. And is, yes. She does. Okay, so you're, yes. you're very, very lucky there. Um, and then do you have any top recommendations, you know, top two recommendations for caregivers that you'd like to share? Um, give me an example of where you're heading. In, in terms of, is there any advice if, uh, let's say you were talking to someone whose parent just got diagnosed, any advice or words of wisdom you would give them for this journey with their parent? The, the, the first thing that I would say is it is so unbelievably overwhelming and you can't do it on your own. And you need to get plugged into people that can help you. Here in North Carolina, for me, a place for mom has been a lifesaver. Uh, mm-hmm. They're just they're just they're just outstanding. They give me information that I need. Um, and something else that is important too, friends. You you you're, you have friends that that have that have gone through this. You, you need to talk to them too. Um, Lori, what's the name of that book? Is it Thirty Six Hours? What's the thing called? Uh, yep. Uh, oh gosh, Thirty Six Hours. I can't remember the rest of it. But if you look up Thirty Six yeah. Hours, it'll pop up. Yeah, Google uh, it. That's that's a, that's a, that's a really good resource. But you know, just the, the most important hour thing day. is Thirty Six Hour Day. That's it. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> Is, is one of my friends says I don't have Alzheimer's. I have Halfheimer's. <laughs> but um, anyway, um, it's so overwhelming that you just have to stop back and realize you can't you can't fight this thing on your own. You have to get with people that have been there. You have to get with use the right kind of resources. Don't beat yourself up. 
Don't Thank beat yourself you. up because, yeah, because you have to, you know, it's, it's hard enough to take care of the, the Alzheimer's victim, but, you know, you're a victim too and your family's a victim and, you know, you, you know, you, you gotta, you gotta keep going onward and upward. Yeah, one of the one other resource I'd really like to mention is Rick Phelps, who is again our our expert living with uh, the disease, has a group called Memory People on Facebook, that is for people with um, early dementia, their caregivers, and then people who are advocates as well as people that just want to learn about the disease. But it is a closed group, so you have to ask to join. But if you are a member of Facebook, just put in the search bar Memory People. And it'll take you to the page, and then you can ask to join. But everything on there is private. It is not to be shared with anybody else. It won't show up on your main page and go out to all your friends. But it is unbelievable, the conversations that are had. And the um, in real time, throughout the world, people sharing. You can get on there just about any time of the day, and someone will talk to you. Um, who's living and breathing this or who has been through it and can point you in some different directions that, um, again, and it's not, a, it's not a resource for doctors or psychologists or attorneys or anything like that. It's just real people living with the disease. And so I always like to, to bring that up because it, it can be life-changing um, for many, many people. Um, and what was that again, please? It's, it's just called Memory People. Memory okay. people, and just put that in the search bar on Facebook, and it's amazing. They have um, they've grown. They have a, a prayer chain. They have a recipe club. They have a game night on there where they get together, um, and they have all, all these little subgroups. There's also a group for teens that is you know a little different because there's some pretty adult conversation um, going on. So there's a there's a separate group just for teenagers as well. So it, and they're constantly growing and changing. They do a newsletter. Rick does um, videos every so often of what it's like and how he's dealing with the disease and stuff. So it's it's pretty fascinating, and you can make some awesome awesome connections. Business professionals are more than um, open to joining as well, but there's no pitching or selling. If you try to pitch or sell something, you're out of the group. Because that's not what the group's about. It's about true support. And so um, I think they've managed that quite well, actually, which isn't, isn't always an easy thing to do. Um, do you know offhand um, how people can see the documentary, where they would go? Do you know the website? Just hit, yes, just hit WRAL.com. Mm-hmm. Dot WRL com and then on the search box just hit Lolo and it'll pull up the the individual stories my blogs that I wrote and the documentary and is Lolo one word or two words is there a space between it's uh it's two words okay okay just wanted to clarify that and if people wanted to get a hold of you Dave how would they do that um probably um, shoot me an email. Okay. Uh, and you could call me on you call me on my um, on my phone, but I'd, I'd it's a cell phone. I'd rather not give that out. Sure. Okay. And for I tell you what, I tell you what, you can how about, I tell you what, you can, you can call me, you can you can email me, um, and it's um, it's David Norris Simpson at gmail dot com, or you can call me. One number you could call me is nine one nine 
781-3270, and then it's extension 5724. Okay, wonderful. Well, I thank you so much for your time today. It's It's been um, very interesting, and you've been just full of great information and great insight for people. So, um, again, thank you so much for taking time on a on a late Friday afternoon. I'm sure you've got plans for the weekend. You can't wait to wait to hit. Um, so I really appreciate everything that you are doing um, to change the world and how they how they deal with this disease and um, what you've put into not only your mom's care but again caring for society at large enough to get out there and, and speak about you know, what's really going on, um, getting the press, doing the documentary. Those are huge, huge life-changing things that I'm sure have helped many, many people. Well, thank you. It was a pleasure, Lori. Well, great. Um, I would like to ask all of our listeners, again, to help us spread the word about our show today. And if you wouldn't mind just sharing the link with your friends, family, and coworkers just by liking us, tweeting us, or following us, and all of that, all those little buttons can be found on our home page. On the 24th, um, we're going to have Cheryl Kearney, and she is also living with Alzheimer's disease. And that will be noon central time, so 1 o'clock Eastern time. And that will be 10 o'clock um, Pacific time then. On the 29th, we are going to have two caregivers uh, who cared for their mother, Sherry Fisher, and Tom O'Neill, and they are going to talk about um, shifting caregiving from crisis to comfort. On August 3rd, Jerry, um, Gerald Cummings and Mary Frances Price are two attorneys that are going to talk about estate planning. So that will be a real interesting episode. And then on August 4th, we have Joe Skillman, who is an author of Confessions of a Caregiver When Alzheimer's Comes to Your Home. I hope you'll be able to join us live um, for these shows. But, again, if you can't, they are all archived, so you can always listen to them after the fact. And please remember, if you're memory impaired and interested in sharing your story with the world, please shoot me an email. I would love to talk to you because maybe you could be our next guest. Everybody has a story to tell. And, again, we're here to help you do that. So I hope you decide to join Alzheimer's Speaks and become an advocate on steroids for the disease by speaking out and giving voice to the disease. We need to talk about this. This cannot be behind closed doors anymore. We look forward to you joining us Sunday the 24th for great conversations, learning, and laughter as we maneuver the roller coaster of dementia. And please Lastly, don't forget the three simple techniques that your memory chip can teach you. Are they safe? Are they happy? And are they pain-free? You can get your memory chip plus lots of other good information on my resource website um, by going to www.alzheimersspeaks.com. Thank you again for listening, and we're going to close out with some more music from J.P., Or maybe we're not. Let's see.
Hi, this is Suzanne Newman, host of the Answers for Elders podcast and radio show. We are the North Star that guides you through the complicated journey of senior care with trusted experts in money, law, living solutions, and more. So join us on this station, your favorite podcast channel, or just go to AnswersForElders.com. Meet the Wayshowers who will help your journey a lot easier.